I'm Ruma Tenbrink, and welcome to the Children's Bedtime Stories podcast for adults. I am so excited to be reading to you my first book this evening. I really hope you enjoy this, and I hope it helps you fall asleep in a beautiful slumber and take you to a faraway land. Thank you so, so much for listening. World-renowned musician, environmentalist, and humanitarian Dave Matthews, in collaboration with popular children's book author Cleet Barrett-Smith, has conjured an exciting and poignant fantasy about a girl who must confront her past mistakes before she can save her peaceful forest community from a gigantic threat. I am honored to read to you, If We Were Giants, Little Voices Can Have a Huge Impact. Let joy begin as we read Part 1, The Volcano. Hello everyone, I hope you are doing well. And I just wanted to give a shout out to all these incredible people who are listening from all over the world, places I've never even heard of. And I apologize if I am not pronouncing correctly, but from bottom of my heart, I want to thank you, the one person from each of the following cities, whoever you are, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening. I'm going to list off 20 cities where there is one amazing person listening to my Bedtime Stories podcast, starting with Groningen, Groningen, Casas Adobes, Arizona, Sugar Hill, Georgia, Wenatchee, Washington, Woodford Green, England, Alameda, California, Greenford, England, Blackburn, England, Wellington, Florida, Brighton, England, Brentwood, California, Egan, Minnesota, Maastricht, Limburg, Gavorano, Tuscany, I think I know who that is, that's one of my husband's relatives in Italy, Hemel Hempstead, England, Helston, England, Louisville, Texas, or Louisville, Texas, Gaborone, Gaborone, and I will stop at Boston, Massachusetts. So thank you all so, so much again for listening and a total shout out to you. The Volcano, Part 1, Chapter 9. Kira stumbled down the rough volcano wall, falling and skinning her knee, but she popped right back up again. She ran through the searing pain of a stitch in her side, ignored the sharp stones she stepped on, and her parched throat that cried out for water. Soon it was so dark she could hardly see where she was placing her next footstep. Still, she ran. Nearing the bottom of the wall, she encountered a great rocky ridge and hurriedly picked her way along its length. 
On the other side would be the plains, and then it would be a dead sprint all the way to Nafalu. She would somehow... Paja? Was this a vision created out of pure desperation? Taro dashing around the side of the ridge in disheveled robes? She stood frozen to the spot, squinting through the murky twilight as the moon rose to replace the sun. The vision ran right up to her, dropped to one knee, and grabbed her fiercely by the shoulders. This was all happening so quickly she couldn't tell what was real. The rough way his fingers dug into her flesh and told her this was no hallucination. But she simply couldn't believe the expression on her father's face. His eyes so wild it seemed as if they were staring right through her. Kira, what are you doing out here? I, I didn't, there's no time. He cupped her face with both of his hands. They are nearly here. I don't know how, but they found out about Zidu. They know where we live. The inside of Kira's belly went cold. Listen to me, he glanced frantically over his shoulder, then back at Kira. You need to hide, and when it is safe, you must go to Lukui. Tell the leader of their tribe who you are and what you have seen. Ask them to shelter you until it is safe to return. Another desperate look behind them. If it is ever safe to return. Paja, I don't want... Taro pulled her close, planted a rough kiss on her cheek, then embraced her, squeezing so hard that it hurt. I love you, Kira, he whispered fiercely into her ear. Never forget it. A great shout rose from the other side of the ridge, answered by more voices roaring in unison. Taro pulled back, listening, his eyes going even wider. Kira felt like she was stuck in a terrible dream. None of this seemed like it could be happening. Not really, especially not this fast. Listen carefully, Kira, Taro motioned to a small protected area underneath a rocky overhang. He took her by the shoulders and pushed her down, first on her knees and then over onto her side. Limp from exhaustion and terror, she curled up into a ball like a scared armadillo. He showed her underneath the outcropping of stone. But, Paja, I... Please, Kira, his voice was thick. Peeking out, she saw something she had never seen before. Her father was crying. Somehow that single detail cut through everything else that was happening. The tears streaming down Taro's face, making all of this horribly real. He uprooted some brush and pressed it under the lip of rock, covering her. I must go. I have to try and warn the others. Don't move until it's safe. I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I couldn't do more to protect you, my sweet one. Then he turned and raced away, climbing the side of the volcano in long, loping strides. Kira whimpered and reached out for him, but she froze when she heard the strange men shouting again, closer this time. She pulled her arm back under the ledge. In another moment, a group of tall warriors from the camp ran around the ridge, lighting up the night sky with flaming torches. The group blasted right past her, 
sending a cloud of dust into her hiding place. She squeezed her eyes shut, tasting dirt that threatened to choke her. By the gods, they covered so much ground in those great bounding strides. How would her father ever have a chance to warn the people of Zidu? Some long minutes later, when the entire procession had passed and she was able to peel open her eyes, she watched through the leaves in horror as her nightmare came true. Her father disappeared into the volcano, but with the entire group of Red Streak's men right on his heels. They all had those terrible shiny blades in their hands, pointed at the sky, the light from their flames winking off the cruel, sharpened tips. A few of them dashed in the tunnel. The others waited outside the entrance. Just a few minutes later, the first warriors returned and waved in the rest. The assembly, it looked like an even bigger group than she had seen in the woods, if that were possible, stormed into the same entrance she and Tico had snuck back through last night, squeezing those long gray bodies and all of that armor and weaponry through the crack in Zidu's volcano wall. All the air left Kira in a dizzying rush. Had the takers followed her and Tico as they raced across the plains toward home? Oh, dear gods, that was the only possible explanation. Kira went lightheaded as she couldn't suck in a desperately needed breath. Zidu had lived peacefully behind the protective walls of the volcano for generation upon generation, and after Kira's first unauthorized trip outside, they were overrun within the space of a single day. Zidu was being seen by outsider eyes for the first time at this very moment. Unthinkable, yet it was happening, and she was to blame. The interior of the volcano was being met with those cruel weapons and open flames while she was out here. No one was safe. Paja, Maja, little Tico, all her friends, and it was entirely her fault. That's when Kira's mind gave out and the world went dark. When she came to, it was many hours later. The sun was directly overhead, the air hot and still. She was so stiff she could barely move. Her arms and legs were scratched up from the brush. She itched all over, and grit coated her tongue as she took inventory of her body. Her mind solely recalled where she was and why. Overwhelmed with fear, dread, and guilt, she was unable to muster the energy to fix any of her minor discomforts. A feeling settled into her chest so strongly she knew it would always be there from this point on. She deserved to be miserable now and forever. She lay there listless until the sky darkened again. The moon rose slowly over the volcano, and the air became so cold she couldn't stop shivering. Occasionally, warriors marched back and forth past her hiding spot. Kira squeezed her eyes shut. She clapped her hands over her ears, but still the relentless sound of their pounding boots came. When the sun rose again, Kira's mouth was so dry that it hurt to move her tongue. An idea drifted in, slipped under the ledge of rock and wormed its way into her head. 
If she didn't get out soon and get some water, she was going to die here. Kira closed her eyes tightly again and didn't move, giving herself over to fate. The sound of rain falling on the rocks outside woke Kira. In all the confusion of the last few days, she had missed the telltale signs of an incoming monsoon, but it was here now. The water fell in great sheets. Acting more on deep-seated instinct than a conscious will to survive, Kira stuck her hand out from under the ledge, let the rain wet her fingers, and pulled them back to suck on them. Her throat was so dry and constricted that at first it felt like she was swallowing sand. But as she slowly collected more fresh rainwater, her mouth loosened up and she gained a bit of strength. She eventually crawled into the open, leaving herself completely exposed. But what of it? True, one of the warriors could spot her, but that would only speed up what needed to happen. Kira should not be allowed to live. She stood there in the downpour, tears mixing with the rain streaming down her face, and looked up at the hidden entrance to the volcano. But there was no one about. Were all the takers inside now, using everything the Zaduans had built to keep themselves dry and warm and fed? How could she have lost her entire world so quickly? And how could it, oh, Gods, how could it possibly have been all her fault? She'd only wanted to help. She'd wanted to serve Zidu and help her father and use stories to teach and protect her people. And now Zidu and Paja and all of his stories. She felt dizzy and sick to her stomach, but she had to know what was happening inside, what she had caused to happen. Kira knew better than to try going through the nearby entrance. The warriors would have manned it first thing. So instead, she summoned a reserve of energy she didn't think she possessed and willed her shaking legs to climb to the very top of the volcano. When she arrived, Kira lifted her gaze from the ground to find something straight out of one of her father's stories. Smoke not the gentle, continuous puffs the Kala twins produced to create the illusion that the volcano was about to erupt. Instead, big, dark, ominous clouds of choking smoke were billowing from the top of the crater. When she made it to the rim, she collapsed. Her cheek pressed against the dirt. She grabbed the lip of the crater and pulled herself forward on her belly, trying to find a break in the smoke where she could breathe. As her eyes adjusted and she was able to peer down into the only place she had ever called home, she was thankful for all that smoke. The hazy picture that emerged was horrifying enough. Nearly every structure in the community was a heap of charred wood and ash. There was no sign of life inside. The fire demons had turned out to be real after all. She pushed herself away, choking and gagging, staggered away from the crater 
and stumbled down the volcano wall. Her mind tried to find explanations for what she had seen. It didn't work. As she half-walked, half-slid down the rain-slicked mountain, she tried to turn her mind off entirely, but that didn't work either. Paja had told her to go back to Luqui for sanctuary. She didn't deserve that. Besides, one of the takers would probably follow her, and she would lead him right to a fresh village for the slaughter. That was her legacy now. Instead of spreading stories, she spread destruction. She would not go to Luqui or Nafalu or any place where there were people trying to enjoy their lives. Her exhausted and cramped legs plodded on until she had walked straight off the volcano. She waded through tall grass and thorny bushes and puddles and under trees until finally she was standing on the banks of the great river. The ledge she was on overlooked the rushing water some ten or so feet below. But this downpour was working quickly. She could see the swollen river rising to meet her. The deluge was creating tangles of white water, swift eddies, and boiling whirlpools. If someone were to fall in, they would have no chance. Their body would be spun around and dragged under and tossed about until the life was sucked out of them. They would be gone, and all their terrible memories would be gone with them. Perhaps Kira's feet dislodged some rocks, or maybe the strong rain had made the ledge unstable. In any case, the ground slid underneath her. Kira fell into the river and was swept away from everything she had ever known. She was freezing. Chill had seeped into her body so completely that it felt like an essential part of her. She went where the current took her. There was no other choice. She was spun this way and that, sucked under the water, only to be spit out above the surface several suffocating moments later. Her body bounced off logs and rocks as if it were a piece of trash that had been dumped into the current. If she weren't numb with cold, she would have felt the pain much more keenly. Darkness started creeping in around the edges of her vision. Her physical numbness was so complete it no longer fazed her when freezing white water splashed over her face. Her emotional numbness was so complete, she didn't care if she ever made it out of here. Time became meaningless. She had always been here. The darkness increased, limiting her sight. The numbness continued to seep in until she couldn't feel anything anymore. Until the hand, warm and strong, it slipped into hers. It pulled her, gave her direction, reminded her there were other things besides cold and wet and pain. That hand became her entire world. Then there was total blackness. When she regained the tiniest part of herself, she found the strength to open her eyes. She saw a boy's face, unfamiliar but kind. He looked down at her, his mouth moved. Several moments later, the voice came to her, muffled and distorted, as if she were still underwater. Maybe she was. You're going to be okay. 
No, she wanted to tell him, I'm not. But she couldn't say anything. Her lips didn't feel right. She wasn't touching the ground. At first, she thought she might be floating, but then she understood that this boy was carrying her. As a canopy of branches rushed by overhead, she realized she was in a forest. What's your name? the boy asked her. Kira, she answered in her head. Was that still her name? Did you actually have a name if everyone who knew it was gone? You're going to be okay, he said again. Then they were standing at the base of a tree, and the boy was craning his neck to look up, yelling for help. And then it was black again. <laughs>